Today's episode is brought to you by Head Colts. I was so ready to just sit here, make jokes about Pringles and asking where people's curly mustaches were at, and getting really hype and loud as is befitting of a fighting game. And instead, I kind of need to rest my throat a little bit. So please excuse my relatively calm tone as I say that today, it's Marvel, baby, with Marvel vs. Capcom, Clash of Superheroes, and Marvel vs. Capcom 2, New Age of Heroes, on today's episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name is Garlisle, and this show is the chronicle of my attempts to play through the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the 100-plus games in between as I can manage. And you might notice this game doesn't have Mega Man in its title. But one thing that I did say when I began this podcast was that I was also going to look at games in which Mega Man has appeared, whether just in, like, cameo-based roles, or as, like, playable characters, or whatever, more than just digging into the main series and covering games that can sometimes be a little bit formulaic and repetitive, like, I'll fully acknowledge that about the series, I figured it would be great to sit down and talk about some of the adjacent products to Mega Man. Things that Capcom has come out with over the years that aren't Mega Man by series, but in which Mega Man still appears. It gives me an opportunity to talk about some other genres, some other series, to experience some games that I've never played before, and also to make the mistake of trying to talk about fighting games. Okay, listen, it's not that I've never played a fighting game in my life. I have played tons of them on and off over the years. The two games that we're playing today are games that I played a fair amount of in my youth. MVC1 on MAME back in the day, and then I own a hard copy of the Xbox release of Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Having said that, in the years since I originally played those games, something has changed. And that something is the fact that I came to actually understand fighting games on a deeper level, but my skills didn't improve with that. There is an interesting thing that happens with fighting games. If you just pick them up casually and poke at them for a little while, they're fun, but the more that your knowledge of what's going on escapes your actual executional capability, the worse they can start to feel really quick. But beyond that, though, it also leaves me in an awkward position. I don't know how accurately I can really dig into these games. A lot of the times I feel like I can address the games in Mega Man with a certain degree of certainty on my opinions. We're not getting that. Straight up, if you are expecting me to lavish these games with praise, I like whiffed on these a little bit. But to be fair, part of the reason why I whiffed on Marvel vs. Capcom 1 was that uh, for this episode, I played a very incorrect version of this game. Okay, so let's back up. Marvel vs. Capcom is a crossover fighter developed by Capcom for their CPS2 arcade machines, which was the same hardware that ran later versions of Mega Man the Power Fighters and the Power Battles. The first release of it was in 1998, and then home console versions for the Dreamcast and the PlayStation would release in 1999, and it has since had a PlayStation 3 and Xbox One release in 2012 as Marvel vs. Capcom Origins. This is far from Capcom's first fighting game. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned Street Fighter 2 at some point on this podcast, but if you don't know your history of fighting games, Capcom basically, partially by accident, created the modern fighting game. The entire idea of combos and all of that stuff was founded in Street Fighter 2. And when Street Fighter 2 took off, Capcom was eager to capitalize on that, and they explored a lot of space with fighting games in this time frame. 
Like, Capcom got crazy prolific. Street Fighter 2 alone has had got way over a dozen releases, if we're counting just different hardware alone. But also, they experimented with, like, all sorts of other scenarios, like Darkstalkers, which was like a gothic horror-inspired type of fighter. Capcom even made a series of fighting games which used Marvel characters, like as in Marvel Comics. You know, X-Men and so on and so forth. X-Men Children of the Atom, Marvel superheroes, like, these games were big arcade hits. Then Capcom said, how can we do bigger? Well, let's have the X-Men fight the Street Fighter cast. I mean, weird choice, but it worked. And somewhere down the line, this eventually evolved into just straight-up Marvel versus Capcom. Characters from the Marvel Universe fighting characters from the Capcom Universe, no longer limited to just Street Fighter. Marvel vs. Capcom 1 has a roster of about 15 different fighters, plus a handful of unlockable or accessed via code secret side characters that you could play as as well, most of whom were essentially just palette swaps of another character with like some different frame data. You want to play as Chun-Li or Ryu? Well, obviously, Street Fighter's there. Captain Commando's there. Morgan from Darkstalkers is there. If you want to play on the Marvel side, you've got Gambit and Captain America and Spider-Man and Venom and, you know, many of the biggest names in Marvel at the time. And also, there's Mega Man. Specifically, classic Mega Man. Marvel vs. Capcom was also made a little bit special by the fact that it is a 2 versus 2 fighter. Or at least... It's a two versus two fighter in most versions of the game. I did mention I made a mistake, and it's that I played the PlayStation version, which is the worst. In order to keep the PlayStation version running smooth, which it does, they had to make a cut or two. So Marvel vs. Capcom on PlayStation plays like a more traditional one-on-one fighter, and this was absolutely my first mistake because it doesn't really work that well as a one-on-one fighting game. But let's back up and just talk about what it's like to fight in Marvel vs. Capcom and how the game plays. Marvel vs. Capcom follows Capcom's traditional setup for fighting games, which is a six-button fighting game. You have a low, medium, and high punch, and a low, medium, and high kick. Those who have looked at a modern console controller anytime recently will realize that's a mild problem, because you had four face buttons and two shoulder triggers, and yes, that is technically six buttons. That can start to feel really awkward, though. This is absolutely one of those setups that was designed for an arcade. As is tradition for various fighting games, doing some simple motions, like a quarter-circle motion in your controller, as well as certain inputs, would activate different special attacks that you could do. However, beyond just your character's special attacks in Marvel vs. Capcom, you have a partner. In releases, and in some versions, modes, where you only have a single character, you will pick up an assist from a roster of various characters, either other characters who are in the game or a subset list of special heroes who are not playable, but are nonetheless summonable as assistants a certain number of times per fight to do a very specific attack. And this expanded the roster of characters that were able to appear in the game because only 15 of them are full-fledged fighters, but there's another couple dozen that were selectable as, like, bonus assists. Of course, if you're playing the tag team matches, things get a little bit more complicated. 
Normally, in a fighting game, once one of you gets dropped to zero, the round will end, you'll both get back up, and you'll be recovered full. That's not how it works in tag fighters. Instead, once you get downed, your partner will tag in, and your initial character is just gone. They are now disabled. But that doesn't mean you need to wait for them. You can always swap off characters at any time with a specific input. Plus, using various special moves, you can call in your partner character and have them perform super moves at the same time as your other character, creating combo supers. All of this is really neat and sounds really great. It is limited by, uh, the biggest control issue that I had with Marvel vs. Capcom 1, which is the precision of the timing on inputs. This game has a little bit of buffering going on for when you're actually busy comboing opponents, but it doesn't for dual button inputs. <laughs> And I know that's fidgety, and for a lot of people, like, you don't really want that. But also, so many of these functionalities around your assists and using your supers in this game and stuff require you to hit two buttons on the exact same frame. And as weird as it sounds, that is more difficult to do than it sounds, especially if two of your buttons are on your shoulder buttons. I'm sure somebody out there is thinking, like, oh, this dude's just a wuss at fighting games, but, like, I'm serious. A lot of the time while playing this game, I would do an input for a super or an assist call or something, and I'd just get a regular punch or a projectile attack or something instead of what I was actually going for, and I'd get punished hard for it when I really needed it to do the specific thing. Of course, for people in my situation, theoretically, that's what the easy mode options are for, where instead of various combo inputs and stuff, you just mash one button and every button becomes its own dedicated combo. But, like, it's not like this is my first rodeo in a fighting game, it's not my first rodeo on this fighting game. I used to play Carl Goddamn Clover in Blaze Blue. I am used to some really specific and fidgety controls, because if you don't know Carl Clover, that is literally controlling two characters at the same time with one controller. And maybe it's just that I honestly haven't done that in a few years, and my fighting game skills have slipped drastically. I would buy that, but I will say I had some trouble getting the exact controls. Still, outside of the tag functionality and this whole, like, calling in your partner and stuff, Marvel vs. Capcom is a fairly traditional 2D fighter. If you have played a 2D fighter before, you can adapt to what's going on and understand it pretty quickly. Like most fighters of the time, Marvel vs. Capcom doesn't really have a whole lot of single-player-oriented content. Yes, it has an arcade mode where you fight through a bunch of random teams and then eventually fight a nonsense final boss. In this case, it's the Marvel character Onslaught, which is basically a giant robot type. As you might expect, he gets to cheat. A lot of your attacks will fail to stun him. Most of his attacks have, like, screen-wide range, and you really need to make sure that you, like, defend against his attacks and then take the opportunity to fire your own when you get those moments. He doesn't play by regular rules, and even once you beat him once, you then have to win a second round where he's like a giant screen-filling robotic monstrosity that can just like slam himself across the screen in split seconds and fire giant laser beams on the ground. And this sort of ridiculous final boss fight where the boss gets to cheat is absolutely a standard of games like this. Beyond that, though, there isn't really much. And in this era of fighting games, there wasn't. If you got lucky, 
you manage to pick up something like Flying Dragon or Soul Edge that maybe wasn't a super refined fighting game, but also the developers had been like, hey, let's try something different in making some actually substantial single-player content. But as far as Capcom was concerned, even the home ports of their games didn't need it. Fighting games, at heart, are designed for a player-versus-player environment, so the fact that I also played these games on my own and did not have versions of them that had internet matching or anything also probably influenced how I felt about the games. Anyway, that's how the game functions. But we're not here to talk about just the game overall, we're here to talk about Mega Man, in theory. So let's talk about Mega Man, specifically. Mega Man in Marvel vs. Capcom is a shorter-range character who is also one of the smaller characters in the cast in terms of size, which, in fighting games like this, can sometimes be an advantage. Larger characters tend to mean larger hitboxes, which means that they can be hit by more moves during combos, and sometimes can get juggled in ways that smaller characters just can't, because certain things just miss on them. It's not exaggerated enough to a degree that I really noticed a difference, but... In this case, though, Mega Man's small size comes with a problem that he also generally has small range. Now, you might be thinking, wait a second, why does Mega Man have small range? He's a ranged character. Like, yeah, technically. But being able to physically beat up and combo your opponent is an important part of being able to play a fighting game. Even if you're a zoning character, you want tools to actually capitalize on any attacks you land. Mega Man has to be right up in somebody's face in order to combo off on them, and the results aren't necessarily great. That comes with the problem that a lot of other characters in this game are perfectly capable of just beating the crap out of you from a moderate to, like, half a way across the screen range. And lots of other characters do have projectiles in this game, too, so it's not like they're out of options if you end up playing a zoning match. Although, Mega Man does have a significant advantage there in that his high punch button is just his buster. There is no specialized Hadouken input, and it's actually extremely responsive. He is capable of just, like, immediately doing projectiles pretty much whenever he wants. Not to such a degree that it becomes an unblockable wall or anything, but certainly enough to harass somebody with. And if you choose to hold down the button after firing a shot, or start holding down the button mid-combo, then you'll be able to charge it up and get a stronger buster that delivers multiple hits, and will even oftentimes deliver hits to enemy projectiles and disperse them before just continuing on anyway. Other identifiable things that Mega Man has, his down high kick causes Mega Man to do his classic slide, which is actually one of his better tools overall. And while it was X that got the Shoryuken in Mega Man X1, Mega Man Classic can do it here as well, because, you know, it's a Capcom game, of course there's going to be a Shoryuken. But the biggest thing that feels Mega Man is that he does have a couple interchangeable weapons. 
with one set of inputs, depending on whether you finish on a low, medium, or high button input, you can call down Eddie, who will produce a little capsule that gives you either the tornado hold, the leaf shield, or the mega ball. Each of these, depending on which one you got most recently, can then be used with a different input. The tornado hold launches a small projectile at a variable range that then creates a tornado that knocks enemies up into the air. It's a decent amount of damage. It's fairly versatile. The biggest problem is that the recovery time after using it is so long that you can't really capitalize on that opportunity, which is going to be the problem Mega Man has with other tools too. The Mega Ball is kind of neat in that once you set it up, which takes an irritatingly long amount of time, any of Mega Man's kick attacks will actually launch the rock ball around as a bouncing projectile on the screen, which can give you some fun and extra coverage, and I guess technically can enable some mix-ups if it's set up really well. But with the fact that you have to spawn it and then you have to use your various kick attacks, it's extremely telegraphed. And that's a problem with the leaf shield as well. It doesn't actually shield you, it just puts you in a state where you have the leaf spinning around you, and only when you use it again does it actually fire it. Now, if you can get up close to somebody and start beating on them and reach the end of your combo and release the leaf shield, you'll do a bunch of hits and damage and it'll be alright, but it's still tough to follow those up. Similarly, Mega Man has a lot of issues of being really transparent and obvious in his super attacks. Because yes, this game does have super attacks, you have a gauge that charges up. Two are fairly similar in the Rush Drill and the Beat Jet. They transform Mega Man into either a ground-moving weapon with a drill, or a flying beat jet that can be moved freely and can use various projectiles like bombs and missiles and stuff by pressing buttons while you're boarded. These are temporary transformations that do leave Mega Man invincible and are generally actually fairly capable of capitalizing on an enemy that's been hit by a combo, and if you can do them fast enough, you can oftentimes chain into them. The beat jet is pretty okay at it, at least. But if you try to just throw out these supers blind, it's not going to work. It takes a while for these to actually become like dangerous to your opponents. Which is also the problem that Hyper Mega Man has, the other super. This one's completely unique to Marvel vs. Capcom, and it just involves Mega Man turning into a giant robot version of himself, and firing off like a gigantic laser beam and a whole bunch of support missiles. It's silly and it's goofy, and you would think it's great, because it's like a giant screen-filling laser beam. The problem is, is that you have to go through a transformation when it starts up. If you've got attacks headed your way, or just an opponent who's really responsive, they can actually knock you out of it once you start it up, causing you to just waste the super. That honestly feels really bad, especially with how difficult it is because of that wind-up time to successfully combo into it safely. It's, I don't know. The thing with everything Mega Man has in this game is that it's slow enough that it struggles to chain together. Looking up professional play and combo demonstrations and stuff, most of them just relied on Mega Man's normals. The thing is, is that's sort of a failure of design. If Mega Man starts playing like any other fighting game character, pitting opponents against walls and chaining air throws and stuff, like, that's neat. But that's not exactly Mega Man, is it? I was kind of disappointed with it. I will say that his ending for the arcade mode is choice. His ending in arcade mode is a power battles reference. You defeat Onslaught, and Onslaught drops the weapon capsule from the power battles, and you get like a whole fake weapon get sequence where Mega Man gets one of the final boss's attacks, and that's just the ending. But also of note, if we complete arcade mode as Mega Man in the home console versions, we unlock an additional character, Roll. 
Roll is a little bit different from the other unlockable characters in that all the other unlockable characters are like Shadow Lady, who's just differently paladin, Chun-Li, and faster. Roll actually has her own sprites. She has some different animations from Mega Man. A couple changed attacks from Mega Man, but she is mostly still Mega Man. She's still small. She still has limited range on most of her attacks. She no longer has a buster available just on one of her basic buttons. It is now a command input, which means it is slower to come out. She does get her own unique attack, which is to throw essentially an exploding bouquet of flowers in a lobbed shot, which is kind of fun and cute, but not really a tool she can do much to capitalize on. And she gets her own version of Hyper Mega Man as Hyper Roll, where all of a sudden, um, a long story short, she gets missile titties. She's unfortunately kind of basically the joke character of the game, because pretty much she's just first Mega Man. What I will say, though, about Mega Man and Roll is that they did do a lot with the actual characters in terms of animation. When you're playing as Mega Man, for instance, Rush is actually running along in the background with you. And if your opponent's standing not too far from you, like, Rush will go over and just growl a lot. He's not actually interacting with the game. He's hiding in the background. But it's those kind of details that are really fun and do help the character pop, even if mechanically he maybe isn't the most inventive. Or at least the inventive parts of his kit didn't really work. Mega Man also has a background stage in this game, the various stages in this game as arenas for your fights are based on different Capcom and Marvel settings, as you would expect. There is one that is basically set at Dr. Wily's lab. You can see one of the Wily machines in the background, and Wily himself is there cheering on the fight. It even comes with musical homages to Mega Man and Roll, because in this game, every character does have their own theme song. And interestingly, Roll does have her own theme song in this game. It's not the first time that Kazewo Shitaite has appeared in the series. Back in Battle and Chase, if you win the game as Roll under certain conditions, she has a special ending where she sings. But its appearance in this game is probably the most famous appearance of this song. So, what were my overall thoughts on Marvel vs. Capcom 1? It's okay. This game hasn't really stuck around in the fighting game scene, and partially it's because there was tons of competition at this time. And I know there are people out there who enjoy it. I can kind of see it. But everybody has different tastes in what they're looking for in a fighting game. And maybe it is just that I was playing Mega Man and, like, he just is a poor fit for my style. Maybe it's that I don't actually like Capcom fighters very much, because that's very much a case. But 
I just didn't click with this game. The fighting in it and the characters and stuff just don't inspire me in an interesting way, the way that I like a modern fighter to. And that lack of inspiration, maybe that's why this game just isn't as popular. Or it's the fact that its sequel came out a year later and basically did everything this game did, but better. Yep, barely like a year after the release of Marvel vs. Capcom 1 in arcades, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 was released on Sega's arcade consoles. It would see release on the Dreamcast in the same year, and PlayStation 2 and Xbox would see ports of the game as well only a couple years later. It even got an online-enabled release for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox Live Arcade back in 2009, and surprisingly hasn't seen another issuance since, despite the fact that Marvel vs. Capcom 2 might be one of the most well-regarded classic fighting games. Marvel vs. Capcom 2 took basically everything that Marvel vs. Capcom 1 did and then went, hey, what if we just did bigger and better? It swapped the format from 2-on-2 to 3-on-3. On top of that, it gave every character three different potential assists that you chose from when you were building your team. And, instead of having 15-ish fighters and a couple dozen extra characters just appearing as cameos that were only assists, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 said, hey, what if we just had a roster of just over 50? It is one of the largest rosters in a fighting game. As of the recording of this episode, there's been like four games that have had a larger roster than Marvel vs. Capcom 2. The Reigning King, by the way, is Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, a game I will probably cover at some point because it does have Mega Man in it. The game also made the decision to cut down from six buttons for combat to four buttons and two dedicated assist buttons, which I will say feels much more natural on a home console and Marvel vs. Capcom 2, I think, was designed a little bit more with a home console in mind. Its single-player options are slightly expanded, more difficulty settings and a little bit more customization to it. You have an actual training room available, which is a nice little touch. And you actually have, like, an unlockable system where as you play through the game or you spend time in training room, when you're done, you'll come back and you'll be awarded points, and you will use those in the home console version to unlock a ton of extra characters, new stages that you can select from, and new alternate colors for characters, and all these sort of things. Which, by the way, made this episode take quite a while. I did not unlock every single character in Marvel vs. Capcom 2 revisiting it. That would have taken a ridiculous amount of time, given that the initial roster is only like 26 characters or something, but I had to spend a lot of time just with the game running in training mode in order to get the points to unlock one of the last characters you will unlock. Let's back up for a moment here. 56 goddamn characters. There are characters in here that I have never heard of and never seen in another Capcom game. There are Marvel characters in here that I don't even know if they actually exist. 
I don't know who the hell Marrow is. I don't know what she's from, but I know her from Marvel vs. Capcom too. And surprisingly few of these 56 characters are really like clones of each other. Yes, you have Ken, and you have Ryu, and you have Dan, and you have Akuma. That's basically four characters who are kind of sort of the same. Fight me, Street Fighter fans. Except don't, you probably actually know how to play that game and would kick my ass. Of course, it does come with a loss or two here and there. I mean, every character returns, I'm pretty sure, but there are no longer character-specific stages or character-specific theme songs. I'll talk about the music at the end of this, because the soundtrack they composed as a result was fantastic. But character-specific took a bit of a backseat and were a bit of a loss, but it would have been hard to do 56 character-specific themes and fit that all on one disc at the time, so. This is, not just for the size of its roster, one of the most beloved fighting games of all time. Partially, it's because its roster is incredibly diverse, and everybody's got a couple things about them that are really cool and neat. Well, maybe except Mega Man and Roll, who are back and are basically unchanged. But even then... I've watched top-tier players in preparing for this episode actually playing as Mega Man and showing off like, hey, you could be an absolute jerk playing as Mega Man in this game, and just like, keep jumping away and firing your buster and summoning your assists, and it turns out if you have a good assist team with that, it's really hard to approach. But for as much nonsense as that sounds like that is, that's nothing. Marvel vs. Capcom 2, with all due apologies to everybody who loves it, is a fundamentally broken game. But that is part of the fun and is part of why people love it, is that there is so much broken stuff. There is so much crazy tech that has been discovered in this game over the years. I've heard it said, half the characters in this game potentially have infinites. In most other fighting games, that would be considered kind of garbage, but... Because there's so much going on at all times with the ability to be constantly calling in two different assists to back you up while your main is leading and like the comboing potential, the crazy supers, the everything that's in here, it is just like an explosive fighting game. You pick a team of three characters from 56 different characters, there is a huge amount of personalization and discovery going on. And maybe not at the high tier play, where there's like 10 characters that get picked, but also the community will actively run tournaments that ban off the list of like top characters that place at these events and go, go nuts with everybody else, and it's amazing to see what people bring to the table. Like, I get the love for Marvel vs. Capcom too. But we're not here to just discuss Marvel vs. Capcom 2 in, like, a broad sense. We're here to talk Mega Man. So let's head to the character select screen with the most earwormy character select in the history of fighting games. I wanna take you for a ride. As mentioned, Mega Man and Roll are back and are, disappointingly, almost the exact same characters. But there are two more that were added. The first of which is Tron Bon from the Legends games. It's not like it's her on foot brawling with all these people. No, of course not. It's Tron. She's in a mech. It's what she do. One thing that's very interesting is that this incarnation of Tron, all of her art assets had to be created specifically for this game, which 
as you might imagine, for a game with a roster of 56 characters, a lot of other characters straight up just use art assets from previous games, including the previous Marvel vs. Capcom, or like other Capcom fighters these characters have appeared in. No, Tron is a completely custom fighter for MVC2, and it actually means she is, like, super well-animated, she's extremely expressive, many of her motions are over-the-top, whether it's, like, getting dizzy while her mech spins around for a wide high punch. Tron has done super well in Marvel vs. Capcom 2. She even has things that you would kind of expect as attacks. For instance, she has the ability to fire out serve bots to act basically as like slow-moving projectiles to harass enemies. She has the beacon bomb. It takes some time to set up, and it's pretty easy for your opponent to just not get hit by it. But also, if you take advantage of it, you can stun an enemy and leave them completely open to whatever setup you want. It's a high-risk but high-reward payoff. Amusingly enough, launching an anti-air serve bot and a beacon bomb at like the right range from your opponent can actually lead into an infinite Tron has, apparently. Again, this is just the kind of game this is. Her biggest and most notable move that gets her noticed in competitive play is the drill attack that she has, where she just zooms across the ground or the air, with a drill punch that, if you mash while it's going on, will deal extra hits. This attack actually does surprising amounts of chip damage, which is damage to your opponent even if they defend it. And Marvel vs. Capcom 2 can be a lot about chip damage. Just keeping up a constant pressure, and even if your opponent's blocking you, still being able to get through with a ton of hits. Her supers are fairly fitting, too. One of them takes advantage of the fact that Tron is accompanied at all times by a little surfbot of her own, and it turns it into a giant surfbot with a giant toy hammer that just wails on an enemy. It takes a little while to wind up, so I didn't find it super great. The other one looks like it's firing the beacon bomb and has an animation that suggests that it works at long range. It does not. You actually have to hit them with the initial burst as Tron draws the gun, but then it knocks your opponent up into the air, and when they come back down, they get run over by the entirety of Tron's 40 servbots. And this one's actually pretty good, and it's easy sometimes for her to chain other attacks into it, so it serves her pretty well. Tron's big thing in this game overall is that she's big and bruisery and really able to land some respectable damage. Maybe she isn't like the fastest, she isn't necessarily the most mobile, especially when you consider that this game has characters like Sentinel and Storm who can literally just fly. But she does actually see some competitive level play, not necessarily as a frontline character. I mentioned that each character has multiple assists available to them, and one of Tron's assists is her coming in and doing an attack that is basically like a three-hit combo involving like a radar tower type thing that spawns from her mech. The thing is, the damage values on it are literally bugged. Normally in fighting games, if you are delivering a multiple hit combo onto an enemy, in order to keep you from just like burning down an opponent's entire health bar, each additional hit deals less and less. So there is still reward for getting off your big combos, you're building more of your super gauge, you're doing more damage, but there is like some fall off and diminishing returns. Yeah, Tron's assist for whatever reason doesn't care about that. So in low tier tournaments where the high tier characters are banned out, Tron is allowed to be played, but you cannot use that assist because literally it's one of the best assists in the game. It just does absurd amounts of damage. But she's not the only Mega Man character that was added for Marvel vs. Capcom 2. After all, they went through all the work of adding a little servbot to follow her around. 
So why not make the Surfbot a playable character? <laughs> One of the last unlockable characters you can get in the game is a Surfbot. Literally just a Surfbot. The size of some character's shoes. The Surfbot is garbage, but deliberately so. He is one of Marvel vs. Capcom's joke characters. He is absolutely tiny, has low health, has terrible damage output. His attacks are things like pulling out lunch trays and like slicing onions in front of himself that have really terrible range. Like, for all that I was complaining about Mega Man's range, wow, Surfbot's got it worse. But... That isn't to say that the Servbot doesn't have some advantages. He has a couple different projectiles that can cover different angles, as he calls in the other Servbots to fly in and help. He has a fun little special where he starts shoveling curry into his face, and you can hold this down and it actually becomes a gigantic flame attack that might surprise somebody. Plus, while the Servbot's range is tiny, the Servbot himself is also tiny. When I said he's like the size of some character's shoes, I meant it. And the thing about tiny characters in fighting games, if you've ever played a fighting game that has a character this small, a lot of things just go right over this character. I won't discuss the specifics of the final boss in this game, but one of the phases of the final boss in arcade mode literally just uses a ton of projectile attacks, and it can be really hard to approach with certain characters like Tron, but also his attacks literally go over the Servbot's head. There are entire supers in this game that will not hit the Servbot if he's just standing there on the ground, because he just doesn't care. In terms of super moves that you can use, the Servbot also has the ability to transform himself into the same giant toy hammer-wielding version that Tron can summon, but this time you get manual control over him. Or you can use a call for the other 39 Servbots, and this one's actually really interesting. There's three different formations that this super can take. One of them is a ton of servbots running along the ground real quick. One of them is a bunch of dive-bombing servbots from the air going left to right. But the best one by far just floods the screen with a bunch of stampeding and jumping servbots that even if your opponent defends it, is going to actually deliver so many hits that it does respectable damage just off of chipping away at your opponent's health. Which one you get is based on which of the three assist types you set for the Servbot. Now, unfortunately, the Servbot has only one good assist, but the good super is not on that assist, so that's, you know, kind of thwarting things. But it's just kind of fun that you can have this character who is really tiny and messes with your opponents because of the fact that he is so tiny, who struggles to do much himself, but you can still take advantage of two assists from other characters that could be really potentially powerful, you know, like Tron's assist, and see some success there and still have like a fun super, and that's a lot of what makes Marvel vs. Capcom 2 fun. You know, if you're not me, and for the purposes of this podcast, trying really hard to beat the arcade mode with a team of Mega Man, Tron, and Servbot. Because only one of those characters is really all that good in this game. Because this game isn't really balanced. It just kind of exists as it is, warts and all, and those warts are fun. Because if a character has a massive weakness, they can have teammates who help make up for it. I'm just not good enough to make up for it. I do like Marvel vs. Capcom 2. It's far from my favorite fighting game, though, these days. Partially because, again, I'm just not really much of an online player anymore. Partially my tastes in fighting games have just changed a lot. I don't really enjoy assist-based stuff much. 
I'm personally more for like the blaze blue style of like really interesting single characters and partially it's that as a mega man experience from the specific perspective of this podcast you see a lot of other characters doing really nifty stuff and then you watch how utterly clunky it is to use mega man or that the serve bot is a joke character and you're just kind of like huh there could have been, should have been, so much explosive potential to do cool stuff. I mean, Tron, at least, has done some justice, but... And it doesn't help that Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is not a new player-friendly fighting game. Even if the inputs are relatively simple and standard motions for fighting games, as long as you understand a quarter circle forward, quarter circle back, and sure you can input, which is forward, down, down forward, as long as you can do those, you can do like every single super in the game, just about. And by making two dedicated assist buttons, you make it easier to do combos that focus on your main characters, and you make it more accessible to actually call in your assist to fight and stuff, but it still feels like diving into the deep end on the game and really not being sure where the surface is anymore. This is a fighting game for fighting game players. You can still have a lot of fun with this, just messing around, but there's also a good chance you will come out of this game a little bit frustrated, especially if the characters you're trying to play are not exactly the easiest to play as. So I'm not going to go and say I think this is a bad game. I lack a lot of the tools and direct experience to really dig into why it would be good or bad. I do know it's not really to my taste anymore, though, and I was kind of sad to discover that's the case, even if I respect this game more than I probably did back when I was playing it originally. Anyway, speaking of respect, the Marvel vs. Capcom 2 OST. So, as usual, across these two games, I've picked out three tracks. Marvel vs. Capcom 1's sound chip isn't necessarily the most impressive thing in the world, so I've only picked out one track from it, which I think is pretty demonstrative of the sound that the game has, but also fits on a Mega Man podcast because this definitely kind of has some of that final boss Sigma rock energy. It's Onslaught's Phase 2 theme. It's a little on the short side, but I like it quite a bit. Marvel vs. Capcom 2 ditched character-specific themes, like I mentioned, and it went instead for a cohesive soundtrack that is really jazzy and has, like, hits of surprise vocals in some of the tracks and just has a whole lot of soul that was really at odds with a lot of what you expect of fighting games of, like, high rock and hard tension and nothing better demonstrates that than the final boss theme of this game. It's actually really cool in that it's the same basic track, but it evolves across the three different forms that the final boss has. The second phase, though, just opts to put all the emphasis on kind of this, I want to say the term is a slap bass guitar. I, that's almost certainly wrong, but maybe it's not. This is not what you expect from a final boss theme.
As for the actual regular stage themes of Marvel vs. Capcom 2, I will say they actually kind of blend together. Many of them have the same feeling to them, and it was hard to pick any that really stood out super much from each other. Not in a way that's bad. This game has, like I said, a very cohesive sound that's really good. But the river stage is the most excellent demonstration I could find of that jazz, soulful feeling driving in those vocal hits and mmm, good stuff. that, we're closing the book on Marvel vs. Capcom. For now. Somewhere along the line in the distant future is Marvel vs. Capcom 3 and Infinite and a number of other Capcom fighter crossovers that I don't know which ones I am or am not going to tackle or like when that will be or how many of them I'll do at once. Many of them do feature Mega Man characters in a variety of forms and I think seeing how those characters are adapted into a fighting game medium is really cool. But that'll be a while away. The next episode though will be a Mega Man series game, but probably not the one you're thinking of. In the meantime, if you have any feedback about the episode, feel free to hit me up at whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter at whatamipodcast4, that's using the number 4, waipf.podbean.com if you want the RSS feed or direct downloads for the episode or anything like that. Thanks for listening, I've been Garlisle, and just remember, I wanna take you for a ride! Da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da, da-da-da!